Hey, yeah, you started the recording. All right, all right, all right. Hello, hello. <laughs> I come to you hungry and tired. You give me food and let me sleep. I come to you weak. You give me strength, and that's deep. You call me a sheep, you lead me to green pastures. Only asking that I keep the focus in between the chapters. Today we talk about the one and only DMX. Let go! Yes, yes. Yes, DMX, Darkman X, Mr. Earl Simmons. So, we're going to talk about DMX today and music in general, but I wanted to start off like that because I remember first hearing DMX and hearing the passion and the dog and the pain in his voice. I, I remember it wasn't just those rough rider beats. It was the passion and emphasis. And you knew it wasn't one of those, one of those things hip hop guys do where they try to, you know, play hard and you know, I come from the streets, I come from the hood and, and try to play off of that to get street cred. You can tell this man had been through some things. This man had seen it, had been through it, had done it. His pain was your pain. You felt that. And when I, every time I listen to his music, every time I listen to one of those prayers, every time a new album came out, that's the first track I listened to. No matter what, that's what the first thing I went to. Let me hear this prayer. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. And at times, I bought the album because of that. As I look back and remember the music, the man, the mystery, I still understand the people closest to him knew him, but as a fan, we only seen what he was able to give us through his music. Our interpretation of what this man was, was, you know, a good rapper, you know, had been through some things, but who knows? Like, who really knows the life that he had to endure? I heard stories from, like, friends and families and people that were close to him since he died, you know, through social media, that I would never imagine what happened to a person and you still standing on your two feet. He wasn't just a rapper. He was an inspiration. He was truth. He was something to see and understand that this is, this is real. And for that, pass off, hands down, DMX. That was good. That was good. Um, that's not very heartfelt. I I remember when I first got put on DMX, and actually, he his first album is Dark and Hell is High. That was the first album I actually purchased, the first rap album I purchased with my own money. And I remember I got it, and I went to my room, and I, I, I threw it in, in, in my uh, boom box, and then I just listened 
to the whole thing. I just, song after song, didn't skip anything. I just listened. And that's typically what I do, even to this day, with a new album. And uh, when I was listening to it, and immediately, what really struck me were, it, it was the prayers. And I was just like, this, this man is like, he is in touch with the Most High. And I was just like, yo, it's, I, I was touched. I was touched. And yes, the production was tight. You know, Swiss Beast, brand new, up and coming, you know, producer. You know, the, the production, every, every song the production was tight. And everything, the lyrics were tight. It was it was just tight. It was a, it was a great album. Um, still is a great album. But I was like, so touched. I wrote that man a letter. Now, who knows if he ever got it. But I was one of those fans. Like, if I was a fan, I was writing letters. And I wrote a letter. And mailed it off to whatever the address was <laughs> on the uh, on on the labeling, but I mean it it was a big deal, and I've been a, a fan ever since. Um, and it's just crazy, you know, when they said that he OD'd. Now keep in mind, and you and I talked about this. We saw him perform like two years ago at one music fest, and it was epic. This man, he all right. So I'm gonna tell my perspective where I was, you know, he came out, I mean, he was jumping around, dude's in his late 40s, he's jumping around, he was skinny, like, he was in shape, you could tell he was clear-minded, I mean, he rocked the crowd as if he was 20 again, like, for real, all the energy, and I'm like, yo, this dude is really clean, you know, because he had a little bad spill with, with the drugs, he was he was on, on the on the steep hill at that point, but I'm like, this dude is clean. And you could see it like he was just anxious. He was jumping, getting the crowd, and he prayed. He prayed over the whole crowd. Just like he, I mean, it was amazing. I was lit. I almost lost my voice. Cause I'm like, that was the highlight of, of one music fest for that for that year. So the one thing about DMX that really always captured me was his voice not just what he was saying but his voice he had a he had a uh, <clears throat> he had an er about him you know what i'm saying it I wasn't mean, it's rough rugged new york <laughs> it was just gritty. Like, oh, it's gritty it was, it's the grit it's, yeah it was and but when he spoke it some some people have the ability to speak and just send chills up you they just have that in them. I admire them. Man, the I love them. He, he had that. And also, some people command attention. So mm -hmm. before those prayers, it was like, we ready, solid. You know, it's kind of like, we ready, give it to us. Yeah. Because he was, he was praying, it's, it's kind of like, he wasn't just talking about himself. You can see yourself mm -hmm. in him. Even if you ain't been through what he's been through, you can you can feel the pain. Any pain mm -hmm. you feel, it comes through. And it was just, mm -hmm. he's just one of those artists who I felt like wasn't putting on. He didn't have to put on to show out. And he had correct. <laughs> you know? So he he was the type of artist to where he didn't need a crew. No. Nah. Whether the crew was out there or not. He could command that stage. He could rock the crowd. It, it, you know, beats, no beats, 
Mike, no Mike, like, he brought that energy. It was the energy to the stage, and it was just it was just great. I was so happy. I'm even more happy now. I still got the video and stuff. I'm so happy that I even made it out there because uh, he was who I really wanted to see. Um, and I was just so happy I got that opportunity. And, you know, uh, fun fact, y'all, you know, he was at One Music Fest. I say he, I mean D-Strong here, was at One Music Fest, and we did not see each other. We didn't know each other. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even know each other. So we could have walked right past each other. Who knows? But um, the funny thing is, we talked about One Music Fest, and I was like, yo, my first One Music Fest was Outcast. When yeah, and that was a great one too. And she was there too. And I'm like, what? You know, and it, but that one, it, it's all the music, man. It's all music. And we're talking about DMS, but we're also talking about artists who who did something to the music industry, who changed something for artists all across the world. Because mm-hmm. there, there would never, ever, ever be another DMS. And we know this. The world knows this. That's what's crazy. He was one of one. He was one of a kind. And I think, you know, when he came out, this is what was, what was so great about hip-hop back then in, in the 90s. Um, and I would say some of the early 2000s. Yo. And, and just the 80s, too. This is what was great about hip-hop before this time, the 2010s and, and, and 2020s. Everyone had their own style their own lane, like you could tell, yes, there was competition as far as sales, but there was no competition as far as style. Jay-Z sounded like Jay-Z. DMX sounded like DMX. Wu-Tang sounded like Wu-Tang. Within Wu-Tang, Meth, uh, uh, Capadonna, RZA, like all the members of Wu-Tang, Ghost, Raekwon, all of them sounded different within the crew. Outcast sound like Outcast. Outcast didn't sound like uh, 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 Bun B and Pimp C. It's like everyone had their own flavor and stuff. Look, the uh, uh, Cash Money didn't sound like uh, a No Limit. It, everyone had their own style and flavor, and it was appreciated. Nobody wanted a cookie cutter situation. The only thing you could you could pick out really were the, were the beats because you know some of the same producers were working with you know the the different artists so you you heard their sound like the Neptunes when they came up you heard the Neptune sound Swiss you heard the Swiss sound Timberland he had a sound and, and you know Manny Fresh did pretty much all the music you know for a song yeah, you he get did. the same types of beats or the same feel right. you know so you got and that it. was okay but we talked but the, earlier hey we had some yeah. artists out here doing it totally different. We got organized noise out here putting a yep. whole spin on it, right? And so the beats are similar, um, but the artists were completely different. Yeah. Coming forward that's to today, yeah, that's what we wanted. And that's why we feel like our music was the best because coming forward to today, we don't have that. We have... Exactly the same. Exactly the same. We don't have that. And that is unfortunate because... If you all, all you have to do is look back at, and I mean I'm going to refer to Outkast and DMS probably 20 more times during this podcast because <laughs> <laughs> they are who I grew up on, but they're also like to me very important to how music is or how music was to artists. Without Outkast, I would say I would I would say 80 to 90 percent 
of rappers out of Georgia would have never ever happened. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have a T.I. without an outcast. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. a looter coming the same down label. from Chicago. Yeah, you, you, you won't have a looter coming down from Chicago making it in Atlanta without an outcast. Like, those doors, the thing about it was the doors were open because of these mm-hmm. artists, because of their creativity, because of their willingness to step out and do something different. You know, because for a long time it was that um, it was that base. Even them eight oh eight. You know, it was it was it was like base coming from Miami, coming from uh, Luke, coming from a Trick Daddy. But that was that Miami sound. That was Miami. That sound. was the sound. And that's what people contributed to the South. Like that's what you hear from the South. And out west, you heard something different. And up north, you had something different. But okay. but when Outcast. Goody Mob, Dungeon Family, even some of the RB artists, 112, mm-hmm. like even Jagged Edge, when they started putting their music out, and when artists, really hip hop artists, start linking up with RB artists, you know, mm-hmm. the game changed a lot. When you got actual rappers, mm-hmm. you got an Andre 3000 who is going to sing on a hook. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that game changed. That, that opened the door for a Drake. Okay, there would never oh, been yeah. a Drake, but for those before him. Look, no, look. Let me take it. Let me take it back further than that. Domino. He was the one. He was the one that was truly singing on tracks, and he was a rapper. Yep. Like Domino had his own sound, yo. Let's think about the South. You know, because out of Houston and, 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 and that area, they had chopped and screwed. Yeah. They're the ones who ushered that in. I love that. That was, that was you it. Know, that, and, and like Southern, I, I would say outside of Miami, because Miami really is, is, is like Florida's his own entity. <laughs> but like as far as the South, Southeast, minus, my, minus Florida, and uh, the Southwest, majority Texas. Um, Southeast, you know, that was like that soul food. Oh, yeah. Like, it was homegrown cooking, like the beats and everything, the Southern slang. Was it? F- finger waves? Look, feel mob. Yo. Feel mob. Feel mob, yo. It's- Look, we had out of Alabama. Dirty. They came out of, they came out of Alabama. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we, we thought they were gonna blow up a little bit. They had a little they had a little bit of shine, but you know, it just sort of tapered off. But you know, everyone the, the bottom line is everyone had their own lane. The the rappers of today, I mean, and everyone says the exact same thing. The rappers of today, they all sound exactly the same. They all rap the same, the same cadence. They rap the same, they the the production is the same, they look the same. It's the same, and it's horrendous. I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. I, I actually love the fact that we have had artists from different pockets of the U.S. that came out and did something totally different. You had a you have collaborations, and yeah, because that that makes good me- collaborations. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the Space Jam soundtrack? Speaking the Monstars. Monstars. Speaking of Space Jam. Man. Time again. Yeah. 
But that what when uh what was it they were, I think yeah they were the Monstars. They had uh, I remember it was who was on there. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, Method Man on there. Yep. <laughs> but that collaboration was lit. I think that song was like maybe five or six minutes long, but everyone had to have their part. And you listened to the whole thing. It was lit. The collab when you had some of the top the top uh um rappers together on a song, it was magic, it was gold, like everyone was here for it. The the one song to keep from my mind is one of my wedding songs, whenever that whenever that may be. Um <laughs> it's the sidebar? It's, it's <laughs> sidebar. International <laughs> International Player. Like Oh yeah. That's it. Like that's that's one of the qualifications of marriage for me anyway. If we can't play that at the wedding, then it ain't gonna be one. We just gonna have to do <laughs> that's it. But yeah, I mean like and, and that's an example of having many artists who brought something to the table that made uh, made a song internationally known and mm-hmm. loved and revered and played by women and men. You know, like it meant something to have, have people come together on an album. I mean, it's kind of like back in the day where um, was it We Are the World with Michael Jackson and Stevie and all those like those hundred yeah. people together. It's kind of like that. You will know Black Men United. <laughs> I need I'm a lover of Black men. I need Black men to come together on a track again because that was major. You had all the major R&B artists on that record and it still resonates yeah yeah i mean i think the difference between now and then i mean yeah people want they want they you know want their money but i think now is you know what i think i think you got too many egos yes because back then the biggest hindrance were the labels you had people on different labels and trying to get the labels to come together. So these, because the artists were fine working with each other, but because they're signed to these labels, now it's like, well, the labels got to get their cut somehow. And it was it was always, a, it was a difficult situation to get artists on, who were on different labels to come together. If they were on the same label, it was a lot better. But if they were on opposing labels, okay. Now, throw the labels out the window. So many independent people, you know, it's a, I think it's an ego thing, like you said. It's an ego thing. It's an ego thing. I think it's still a little bit of label in there because not everybody is independent. You know, you got a handful of people who are, you got a handful of people who are still taking their money because they didn't make their money, especially some of the older artists. They made their money. They have, you know, you know, they have their own recording studios now. You know what I'm saying? We got the dungeon. We got, right. you know what I'm saying? So you're going to produce your own stuff. But there's a catch to that too. When you got a big label behind you, you got more dollars to market and all that stuff. But today, in today's age, you just need a really good social media strategy, really, to put promote your stuff, to get it out there. I mean, listen, I say, for all the people who started their their rap career by selling, you know, CDs out of the back of their trunk, Luda, mm-hmm. you know, Master P, um, the same dope boys that was using, you know, that dope money to you know, promote their music and get their music out. If they had the same money today with the platforms that we have today, they'd probably be still hot and doing what they're doing today because 
that money would go much longer. Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, the internet provided a way to reach everybody at one time. Back then, you depended on the A&Rs and the, DJ, the radio stations and the DJs to break records. You had a lot of dependencies. On top of you being a grassroots individual, you trying to sell your cassettes, <laughs> your cassette, or your DVD, not DVD, but your CD that you just burned. You know, and back then the cost of CDs was expensive to get a pack of 50. That was, that was a big deal. Uh, forget about the artwork. Yeah. I, also, it wasn't just that it cost a little bit of money to get those CDs. It took time to burn a hundred CDs. Now, mm -hmm. you could cook up a hundred CDs in, the, in no time. You know, it's nothing. Yeah, back then. Yeah. And plus, you know, you, you had to account for, you know, every, that, that was all a, a, a cost per unit. But yeah. now with just one song, you literally reach a million people or more. Or more. You know, you all you problem. need to do was get your follow, followership up, just yeah. like what you said about the social media strategy. That's all, as long as you've got the, because now you've got ready-made customers. Yeah. Just it's, put out one song and, and, and make it available on all platforms. I, I heard Mystical, it was some years back. I think he had just got out. He was in a car. I seen a video on YouTube. He was, on a, he was in a car and mm -hmm. he was rapping. I can't remember what the song was about or if it was just some few bars, but I said right then and there that this man needed to sign. Like, what? It was the most fire ever. <laughs> it was better than, to me, it was almost better than his top two, three hits. And it was like off the dome in a car. Looked like he had just walked out of prison. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was no music, no nothing. It was him and another guy sitting in the car. And somebody took it with his cell phone, I believe. It was just like, man, if he had a marketing team, behind him, even at this stage, because Mystical, I mean, we're talking about old artists right now for, you know, because kind of what we grew up on, but Mystical still got it. Like, I've heard him rap. Look, there's a lot of artists that still got it. A lot of them still got it. Method Man still got it. Yeah. Um, Ghostface still got it. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the a lot of the artists, if they were tight back then, they still tight now because they had true lyrical skill. We're talking about lyricism at this point. Yeah. You know, the, the, the artist of today doesn't need that. It's a whole bunch of onomatopoeias mm -hmm. and, you know, money in everyone's face. That's it. You know, they don't have anything, but they're just flashy. It's cookie cutter. Because if you can actually rap, you can actually put some words together, then you can, you're going to survive. We're talking about Killer Mike, right? To me, I remember when I first heard Killer Mike, it was before everybody else heard him on that. On the whole world. It was before the, the whole world song with Outcast. I remember hearing him and knowing that he had an album out. I was like, this dude is going to murder these folks. Like, these dudes are probably scared to have him on. Like, it, it's going to take an Outcast and at the time a T.I. or somebody like that to put him on their record. Because they don't feel intimidated. 
most people <laughs> standing next to this dude, nah, I can't put you on my album. You know what I'm saying? Kind of like when uh, Andre went on T.I. song and murdered him. Like, you don't want to put somebody better than you on your song, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's to me, was a killer mic. You have people who are like so talented and not just like, not just in music. These people are actually like educated, smart individuals knowing how to get it out there. Yeah, I might, you know, cooked up a couple pies back in the day, but I am also educated. I also got other things. That's why you have a Luda who is more uh, movies than he is rap now. You got people who are transitioning. You have artists that can transition to other genres and survive mm-hmm. and thrive who write music for other people, who hmm, do all other, you know, do all other kinds of things alongside the music industry, produce. You know what I'm saying? You take a Timbaland, you take a, a Dr. Dre, now they produce and really good. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know what I'm saying? People like that who, and I, was, I wasn't going to bring him up, but, Sean P. Diddy Combs for all the things that he is and a lot of things that we most people don't like you can't deny the the hustle of this dude you can't deny that he put people on and he may not he was to me never a, a, a rapper but I think he knew how to get the most out of people I feel like if uh, if Biggie was around <laughs> Like, he he would have had probably 10, 20 albums by now. Let's, let's give Puff his due credit. I will say this, because he, he invented the remix. Come and talk to me. Remix, he did that. Um, now, how he did it, I, I, he, he, so, he had a hand in that. Well, this is the thing. He also is, I ain't going to say that father of it, because he's definitely not the father of it, but he was really good at sampling and understanding how to take a, this this beat from this song from mm-hmm. you know, the Manhattans or somebody back in the end and mix it into a current beat. Now, he was good at that. I, I think he was good at... Well, was, look, I, I w- DJs knew how to do that. DJs were already spinning records, two separate records, putting them together. So I, you know, that that's the precursor to this as far as sampling. A lot of DJs were already doing that. They just didn't call it that. But DJs wasn't DJs were not sampling to produce albums. They were sampling to get a party hype. You know what I'm saying? Right. It was just, they were just playing music. Yeah, they were just mixing. So you can't necessarily just so you can sample a song and put some songs together, but that don't make a that don't make an album. You know what I'm saying? That don't make a good beat for us actual lyrics on top of it. They have to go together. You have to marry them. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I understand that. And and also, you know, Diddy, and I didn't know this until I watched the um, Organized Noise documentary on Netflix, which was a very good documentary. I don't know if it's still on there, but very, very good and informative. Diddy was the one who uh, directed Outkast's oh, yeah. first video. I didn't know that. And I'm like, for a guy to come down from New York, yeah. coming down south, and that first video, 
was like quintessential Southern environment. You know, it was it was the vibe, and for him to direct that, so he started. That's, that, that's what he started. That was his lane. That was his lane. He started out with that type of vision as a mm. as a artist in that way. So all all due respect to that because he was that's kind of, that's kind of what he started out. You know what I'm saying? He mm. he took a vision. He took these two southern rappers mm. and he made the word southern playlistic Cadillac funky music come to life. He he did. He enriched it. We already enjoyed the song, but the, he gave a visual to it, and it was like, dang. You know, looking at that video, even today, I'm just like, that's exactly how Southern Black folk are. You know, it, that's what made it so good, because it resonated with us, like, yeah, that's, we playing cards, we out in the woods, talking shit. You know, we, you know, Cadillacs, that was the culture, yep. especially in Atlanta. Yep. So it, it made sense, the video, aligned with the with the um with the song so and if you think about it think about how the artists from the south so i'm gonna represent the south think about how the artists influence the culture not just hip-hop culture but the culture the american culture think about how many jerseys hoodies baseball caps the styles, even, I mean, just go back. Think about crisscross. I was just thinking that crisscross Think wearing criss pants backwards. How many people wore their pants backwards? How many people wore cross colors? How many people had semblance? How many people had, you know, think about that. Like, look at that. I still have some Listen. <laughs> They're expensive, though. Why are they so oh. expensive? Oh, yeah, we're gonna have a whole another conversation about that, that uh, logo, but <laughs> but yeah, like they influence a way of life, mm -hmm. a people, a, a whole generation of people. Honestly, you know, when you think about hip hop, let's go ahead and, and we got to give MC Hammer his his due. Oh yeah, he showed he showed Negroes how to make money in hip hop. Okay, he was the first one that was really making some real money endorsements. Nobody had that. Not even because keep in mind, Run DMC came out way before him, and they had a song called My Adidas. No one really put the two together. Like, oh, they should have their own shoe. No, that didn't happen in the 80s. Hammer came out. He had Taco Bell. I think he had Pepsi. He had his own shoe, British Knights. He had his own cartoon. Okay, he he was part of the uh, uh because he was on the soundtrack to the Adams Family, so he was part of that little friendship. Like, dude was showing people how to make money with rap. It's kind of like really was. It was like the introduction of putting your taking your talent and now dip your toe. I'm out here now. Yeah, nobody could deny it. he was getting so many endorsements. That's why his concerts were so big. That's why, I mean, he was like a multi-millionaire. He lost it all. But then I think he bounced back, too. But, I mean, during that time when he was at his height, like, nobody was touching Hammer. And, and Hammer, Hammer, you know, he came back from Oakland. 
And you know what? What is it? it was a, uh, his first video turned his mother out and said, "Hammer." They said you ain't hitting in New York because everyone. This was the thing. Hip hop was born and bred in New York. Everyone gave New York it to do. And so it's like if you wanted to be hot, you had to make it up there, you know. And he was seen as like you know the soft dude because he didn't curse in his in his you know songs. And there's other rappers that didn't curse. Heavy D, he, he didn't curse in his songs. But you know he was also dancing. He brought he brought dance moves. He was he he's the one that brought the all around entertainer aspect to hip hop. Yeah, and was profitable with it. Because you had that in R&B. You had some yes in R&B, but there were no. First of all, there were no guys dancing in our in, in hip hop. That, that right. wasn't it. it. You weren't doing, and you still you still really don't have it to this day. You yeah, really don't have it but, now. But the thing about it is, he opened up the door for people to be able to be more expressive and to be more creative and to do things different. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like if you think about it, every generation needs to give props to the generation before and the one before. And see, and that's the thing. Rappers used to do that. They paid homage. They knew, especially with amongst the, the female rappers. They, you know, it, you, you had Salt and Pepper come up. And then when, when um, Foxy Brown and, and Lil' Kim came out, they paid homage to... To a song pepper, like you know, and Queen Latifah. They none didn't them, none of them were possible without an MC Light. Yeah, they and and they said it, you know, they would they were never turning their noses up up to them. I don't know what's up with these newer rap, you know, a female artists now, and I don't get it, but it's like they be ready to on the generation before them. It's just cocky. I don't know who the handlers are. Uh, when I say handlers, I say I mean managers. Where it's like you know, talk about whatever. But I, I mean, you you look at the city girls now, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because this needs to be said out in the open. You look at the city girls, okay, and their cadence. When I first heard the city girl, immediately, I thought of Kaya. My neck, my back, Kaya. It's the same cadence. They would not have like. Kylie was the first one rapping in that cadence. You you look look it up because even Jackie O with Kaya, Jackie O, Trina, they all came out around that same time. They didn't sound like each other, despite the fact all of them were in Florida. They did not sound like each other. You listen to the City Girls, they sound just like Kylie. It's her cadence off the top. I feel like nobody's giving Kaya props on that. Cause she's the one laid the groundwork on that. I feel like a lot of times these artists feel like they can't make a name for themselves if they give other artists, especially older artists, credit from where they got their style, they got their inspiration. Or got I don't their, know why like, that is. You sound just like them, or like your whole. Even if your sound don't sound like them, your image looks just like them. You know what I'm saying? Nicki Minaj. Nicki, don't we all like, saw it. Nicki, don't act like you ain't watched Little Kim all your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, get out of here. So, exactly. I think it's, everything is better when people just set aside pride and ego and just be like, you know what? Without you, there was no me. Without DMX, yeah. there's no we. 
right? Yeah. And I, and this is what's so great about music moving so fast right now. Now you have a a, a blurring of the generations with the fans. So yeah. you've got fans who will call out an artist like, "Hold up, you got that from such and such." Now don't act like you didn't get that from such and such. Or we'll be like, "No, y'all fans, y'all too young to know that such and such did that first, because we would we were there." A lot of times we we forget about older artists because they're not putting out current music um, unless you get on a streaming network like a Spotify or you know Amazon Music something like that. You're not gonna really get that music unless you want to dial back to those stations for those '90s or 2000s or whatever. I love. That. I'm glad we're talking about music because I love number one. I love getting mixtapes from people. And I enjoy making mixtapes of like some of my favorite songs because I used to do that a lot. I would burn a CD, like, look, you know, listen to these certain songs and everything. Um, but also, that was how I was connected to a lot of people because I was meeting uh, uh, different DJs. And I remember this one guy, I met him. I was like, oh, you got all these uh, CDs in here? It was music I had never had. So I'm like, oh, I want to listen to it. And so he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just gave me a CD book. And I'm like, this dude doesn't know me from a can of paint. <laughs> but he gave me all of his music in that book. And I was like, okay, thank you. And <laughs> it took me a couple of days because I called through it and everything just to listen to what I liked and I wrote down stuff. And so uh, I, I gave it back to him after two days. He said, yo, I don't know what I was thinking. I gave you all of my music. And, I, and after you walked away, I was like, I don't even know this girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I said, well, I, well, lucky for you, I'm an honest person. Here's your music back. Because I'm like, I wouldn't do you dirty like that. But he, he didn't know me. And I didn't know him. But he was like, yeah, take it. And I'm like, okay. But um, I was fortunate enough to live down the street, well, around the street from a DJ at our local uh, hip-hop station. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Keith Antoine. And when we used to get off the bus from school, I guess it was like middle school probably, he would like be out there talking to us and stuff. And sometimes he would just give us like CDs. You know, he just like hand us music to listen to. I guess he wanted to hear from the street. <laughs> he wanted to hear what the kids were thinking, right? But it was really cool, and I got a lot of like free music up front, like before it hit the radio music from him. Just being able to, you know, just know, just knowing him, just living close proximity to him. And to me, I think that fed my love of music. I've always been in love with music. I've been in the marching band pretty much, you know, my whole life. Um, played some kind of musical instrument my entire life whether it's the drums or piano or trumpet. Uh, I've always loved music. And I love live music. That's another reason why Outkast, I love Outkast. Because I like the fact that they use a lot of instruments. Not just... And I love the roots, too. They do the same the thing. Yeah. Oh, the question is, of all time, Quest Love. Give it up. Like, and I learned a lot about Quest Love because I bought a book. Bought his book. Kind of told the story of his whole life growing up. Mm. Um, his, his parents uh, heavily in the music. Like, so it's just, it was just very informative that in this 
this guy's mind is like a jukebox. Mm-hmm. It's like a literal catalog of flipping through albums. He can tell you what side, what number the song was <laughs> on a on a record. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like he can damn near play every song, every one of those songs mm-hmm. from memory. That mm. that's huge. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people probably fell in love or like found out about Quest Love, you know, through the roots. Or uh when he played with uh, John Mayer on Dave Chappelle, this is what a lot of my friends learned about him. Um, but it's music. It's it's like you know, and that's another that's another part. He's from Philly, right? Or you know, Philly suburbs, I guess. But that's another set. That's not New York. You know what I'm saying? That's not down south. Yeah. Oh, another category. When, when the neo soul movement came out. So many artists from Philly. It was like that was it, it was like a concentrated mecca of neo soul music. Yep. And it was crazy. Like that was also a good time in music. R and B was was definitely it was like it was missing something. And that came in and sort of filled the gap. It was missing Jill Scott, and she came in and killed that's what it was. Jill Scott. Now NDRE, she's out of Georgia, but you know, she she came in. Um, music Soul Child. Yeah. They murdered it. The Roots. They murdered the game. Like, think about Music Soul Child. Nothing like him before him. He was different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Think about India. India Ari. Like, mm-hmm. grab a good It was the energy that they brought. Yeah. It, it's like, it, it was another level in black music. And she, and think it about was, her. It was black music. Think about her in particular, how she promoted black love, like mm-hmm. blackness, black. Because look at her parents, right? Like look at her upbringing. It's it's all we always talk about how music is a reflection of your environment, and that's mm-hmm. what you're. And sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's hurt, sometimes it's drugs, sometimes it's sex, sometimes it's love, sometimes it's Cause guess what? We all go through that. It's emotion. It's a wave. That's that's what music is. It's sound waves, and we fall on those waves. We hit those waves, and we ride them up, right. downs, lows, mids, highs, treble, bass, all of that. That's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I definitely agree. So many great moments in music. And I found myself today, like, I'm going back even further. I'm going to the 70s and, like, the 60s. And I'm listening to some of that soul music. Uh, and it's just, listening to some of the lyrics, I'm just like, man, this, I see why it was hitting back then. And it, it hits today. Yeah. Like, I, I love it. You know, we, I, I, I want you to listen to a song. Of course not right now, but afterwards, if you find time, I'll text it to you. Um, but listen to the lyrics of this particular song. It's called Just Shopping. Not buying, just shopping. Gosh, was it the Delphonics? Is it about... Uh, I'm, I don't know. What, I've never heard the song. I do know what the Delphonics The Dramatics. That's what it's by. The Dramatics, and it's called Just Shopping. Just Shopping. I'm going to tell you what I think. And it... 
I'm gonna tell you what the song is about. I've never heard the song. I don't even know that group, but just shopping to me, it has to be about you know. I ain't I ain't trying to buy the cow. I'm just shopping right now. I'm just going ahead and I'm gonna I'm gonna wind. I'm gonna down. I'm gonna take out. I'm gonna hit it. But I ain't trying to buy it. I'm just shopping. Is that is that close? Oh um, yes, it is close. Okay. But I'll say here's the flip side. It's it's she's the one that's just shopping. She's shopping. Oh okay. <laughs> See, I want to double guess. That's what makes it so so funny. Like to listen to it today because there's a lot of women out there. They just shopping. You know. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying, I feel myself almost segwayed into a sidebar. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We'll talk about back. it. Come back. Time. Come back. Come <laughs> back. But um, listen to that song in your own, in your spare times from the dramatics called Just Shopping. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about it. You know, it, it might be, it might, ladies and gents, it might be a podcast. It might not. I don't know. But, you know. Yo, I listen to some old songs and I'm just like, they talking about like straight upsets. Like they, they put it out there. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> like y'all, okay, yeah, WAP is out there. But I'm like, to listen to some of the stuff from the 50s and 60s, like y'all was down and dirty. I pulled a pen outside <laughs> and I, you know, this stuff, it just be like. Yeah, they be like, you know, let me spread it. Lick it, whip it, stick it, jig it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm cringing at this line. Mama, was this was this hit? This, this was hit back. This, this was the blue. This is what oh. this is what you was going over. <laughs> this is what like, I, uh, yeah. I can't even fathom it. But you know what? I don't even listen to WAP now. So <laughs> it's all I, I lump it all the same, but you know, Doc and Boots, that's different. You know, <laughs> he was talking about boots. <laughs> you remember in the, in the video, they actually had a pair of boots that was <laughs> but you know what? As a child, I didn't really understand what it meant. I'm like, okay, somebody rocking, knocking the boots, but now. As an adult, because you know, adults do adult things, I'm like, yo, okay, so they were doing it with boots on. I can see how that happened. <laughs> a lot of the music that people try to crap on today, saying that oh, it's too it's too um, vulgar, too that it came from directly from music before it. Directly. A lot of music was vulgar. It, directly. I mean, come on, like, and so to kind of go back into what we were talking about earlier, a lot of people try to give artists, like rappers, hip-hop, a bad name. Oh, they just talk about killing, they're talking about uh, robbing, talking about bees and ages, blah, blah, blah. But guess what? That's in every genre. Okay. This is where we will differ. This is where we will differ. I differ... I, I, this this is where I differ with that because back in the day, I would say before I guess NWA because they started coming in with that rough, rugged, and raw. NWA and no, I'll say Luke did keep it separate. Back then, when rap was young, you had it, when men referred to women, they were the ladies, baby, 
honey, the honeys. You know what I'm saying? It was sweet. They literally referred to women in a sweet context. Um, well, tell me who, but there was a difference. A, a, a hoe was, everyone knew what a hoe was. A hoe was not the same as a honey. It was yeah. two different things. Yeah, there, but this is, this is also, but this is also, now, also kind of blends into the idea of when you don't, when you don't produce your own music, someone on you, use Outcast again as an example. They pretty much produced their music all, their whole career. I mean, they they were signed to other labels, but later in their career, they were able to produce and put out what they wanted to, mostly because they had an audience. So the audience wanted what they were putting out. So the label was going to go with it anyway. You know? Um, but when you are under a label, and the label is saying, you got 10 tracks that's about black love and family and rapping about that. And you got 10 tracks about tearing down the neighborhood. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Then, and the label saying, hey, we're going to put this out versus putting that out. You get airplay for this and not for that. You getting paid off of this and not for that. They ain't even accepting your albums because you ain't giving them what they want. Because at the end of the day, this this whole music, hip hop industry, the A and R's, the music labels, the people that was putting the money behind the videos and the tours. This is white America. White businessmen. No, 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 no. They putting it out there. Yeah, I can I can be a what's what's that what's that group? Who did Tennessee? Arrested Development. I can be a arrested development. I can be a conscious rapper. I can never say a cuss word. I can never say a B or, or a hoe. But for a very long stretch of, of time in music, especially in hip hop. That shit ain't getting played. So you I'm not put- saying that? No, 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 no. Because LL Cool J was getting played. Man, listen, we okay? talk. I love LL Cool J. But that's oh, hold on, you missing my point. I'm saying no. I'm saying there was a distinction between a bitch and a good woman, a honey, a ba- baby, honey, sweetie. Those were good women. Those are women you desired. Those are women you wanted to be with. You didn't want to be with a. You talked about, you dogged out, and you talked about. Yeah. What I'm saying is today is a term that's being used for all women, good or bad. That's what. That's the difference. Back then, there was a distinct difference. Today, there is no difference. Today, I've heard more, and I had a conversation with one of my own, with my friends. I've heard more women call each other. Than ever in my entire life, in in like one weekend. Okay. And now it's now, but now it's okay. So it's kind of like it's okay. No, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm, but I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. What I'm saying is, oh, that's that term. Is it? I don't know if you if you use it the way some people try to use the n word. 
use it so it, it takes the power away from it. I don't understand. I don't know, but I know from a male point of view, that calling a woman a has never been played. They have never played good. But it's also a conversation about the fact that there are such things that and I'm not denying that. I'm not denying that. I'm talking about the men. Because keep in mind, these women are being handled by men. There's women, these women, a lot of these women think about it. Look at Lil' Kim. Who brought her up? It was Biggie. So everything that she was talking about, she learned from him. And he was calling women across the board. You think Lil' Kim said in her song because of Biggie? I'm, say, I'm saying it's influence. That's he, and that can't be denied. Biggie was a heavy influence on her career in life. Yeah, he was Period. very. Yeah, because probably because he wrote most of her. Possibly, but I'm saying that's what it is. And that's why I'm saying this is that's a distinct difference of the rap that pro, that started happening around the '90s all the way to probably mid '90s to today, and then before that, women. If you if you if you liked a girl, you weren't calling. Her yeah, but now, if you like a woman, she's your... But this is my thing. <laughs> it, all, it still goes back to who's producing and putting out the music. Well, no, the production has nothing to do it with does, it. Because you it does, because... You got the producer, you got the writer, and then you have the, the label, okay? The producer does the production, okay? that's They're the ones they probably... Um, um, you have the label? They're, they're, they're doing the beats, and, and they're doing the, the music making. Okay, and then you got the writer, the actual songwriter is different from the producer, typically. Okay, so that's the producer has nothing to do. He doesn't let down change that to the producer, he's working on the production. What I'm saying is the people who putting out this music, the collective who's putting out this music, ain't putting it out if that ain't what they want. And if you don't if you don't believe that, listen to artists. This is, who, this is the artist who tried to cross over or talk about something other than what they started talking about. Look, let's go ahead and put it out there like this. We understand what the machine is today. Back then, when hip-hop was young, when hip-hop was young, there was no machine behind it. So that's how you could have all these people doing whatever. Def Jam, yeah, they were they were wide open because they didn't have, that's why they had the Beastie Boys and, De and, and LL and everybody. They were, nobody knew what to do with hip-hop. Hip-hop wasn't making money until Hammer came on the scene. And when hip-hop started making money, now it's like these labels started to put their hands into the pot. And now it's like they want to mold an artist. Back then, labels had didn't know what to do. So there was no artist molding. So people basically were who they were. It was young. So yeah, they didn't they didn't know what to do with the artist. But once they realized how they can make money, because guess what? Who buy more hip hop and more rap than anybody? White boy. Yeah, white, white folks. Now. White kids then buying it. Now I'm not talking about listening to it. I'm talking about buying it. It's a difference between turning your radio on and actually going buying CDs and, and tape and going to um, shows. There's a difference. There, that's where their money come in. So the people who's actually buying it, not just consuming it, were the ones who were directing what we're gonna put out or we're gonna what music we want to put out. Cause they like being able to say in a song, cause they can't say it in at school or they can't say it in front of some. You know what I'm saying? They like that. They can say it in their car all day. Turn the music up and do that. Because I, I bought a song. I'm, I bought this album. 
That's what that was. So yeah, you got that. I, I would never ever take the onus off of the artist because the artist chooses to make his money however he chooses to make his money. If you're gonna make your money off of, you know, you know, checking and jiving and tap dancing for the man so you can get your music out, hey, do what you gotta do. I ain't even finna shit on you, but that's that's on you. But I will not sit here and pretend like I don't know what goes on behind the scene. Like, this music ain't going out. I kind of was trying to um, pivot to it earlier. Outcast came out with a song, and it had a video. It was a political song. And I cannot, for the life of me, remember what it was about. It, I know it was a political song. It was about it was some of my politics. And I think it, it could have been Outcast, or it could have just been Big Boy, but I feel like it was both of them. I seen that video one time. Probably got one play. And it was a video that they would they couldn't get produced through their label, through a label, so they did it themselves. It was it was out of their own pocket. Never heard that song since. I don't even know the name of the song. Never heard the song since. And because guess what? People don't want to hear about that. People don't want, even though people like me, I may want to hear about that. I may think it's cool that you can put that to a rap. But it's not what people out. This is not what the consumer is asking for. The, the consumer, consumer is asking. The, the consumer tells nowadays, you nowadays. You can control what the consumer wants because, I mean, and, and I share this meme with you. Even even white folks are like, this is so artificial. You remember? You, did you see that meme I saw? I, I shared with you. I'm like, this is a white dude saying this. Complain about hip hop, like man, this is so artificial nowadays. And I'm like, well, damn, you know. But he's saying something that we, a lot of us, been do. But isn't that isn't that the same thing? It's the same thing. It's saying and that's why the independent artists today, a lot of the the people who are on the label, I mean, whatever. Because here's the thing: because of technology, anyone can fudge numbers. Anyone can circumvent the process the process case in point jay-z did it when he did what was it uh the the album that he put that he only uh uh that he initially released on uh everyone's cell phone was it watch the throne i think it was watch the throne it was one it was an album that he did and he had a, an agreement with samsung yes it was samsung and it was on every if you had a samsung phone you got this album you remember that and he sold, he, this was the partnership, he sold to Samsung a million copies. So he went platinum the day he, he released the album. That's cheating, because you didn't sell to a million people. You sold to one person, they bought a million copies and put it on their phones. Yeah, but it's still the same number. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you can produce the numbers, but it's the same, it's, it's still so, the same number. I, what I'm, the, the rise of the independent artists with SoundCloud and the very platform that we're putting our, you know, our podcast out on, you know, they are coming up. And I mean, it's the reason why Doja Cat is up now. She started off, she was grassroots. Nobody really knew who she was. And she was self-made, self-paid. And she was getting her money through live performances, I believe. That's how a lot of people, that's majority of the artists, that's how they're making their money. Live performances. But that's, that's awesome. directly in their pocket. That's always been true, though. You're going to make money. You're not making money off no album. You're making money off of shows. That's always been true. Well, it depends it depend on the album. It depends. If you are on there as the writer, 
like Missy Elliott. She was never struggling with her albums because she's the writer, the producer, the singer and rapper. And, you know, she's wearing many hats on, on this project. So she already been got her check. Yeah, but that's just like anything entertainment. If you writing a show, if you're the actor, producer, executive producer, you got your name in the credit 12 times, you're getting paid 12 times. Right, and that's why I'm saying, you know, it, it depends. Now, the average artist where they are literally just the artist, they're not doing anything else. Yeah, you're not going to see much money. You're getting pennies on, on, on per album, like Tony Braxton was getting, and TLC. Yeah, I mean, you, you're you going to get manipulated because you're going to get an upfront uh, bonus up front. The advance money. And yeah. that's where a lot of people go wrong with that advance money. They will front you, and that's a loan. They will front you $300,000 to produce your album. Now, you somebody coming, you got a whole bunch of talent, but you coming from nothing. Let's say you coming from nothing, and you got an eight-person family that you are now supporting. You think you're really going to be focused on the album, but you're going to be using this $300,000 to start paying some bills. You know what I'm saying? You start using it for other things that, that are not towards the album. Well, this is the thing. The label knows this. That's how... Of course. That's how they get you roped in. It's a dope deal. It's a dope deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get you hooked. The 360 deals are rough. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get you hooked. I'm going to pull you in, give you a little bit, some, give you a little taste. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to get you to come back because now you owe me. Uh, yeah, you got to come back. Like, oh, well, you didn't, you, you didn't sell this much? Or, okay, well, you sold this much, but, well, we just barely broke even. But that's okay. Let's roll it over to the next album. And I'm going to front you $400,000. Yeah. This tour costs X amount of dollars. This tour costs money. Ship you and your crew from city mm-hmm. to city. It clothes, the food, food the car, all that. But... They didn't have the technology that we have today. Right. So, you do it what you got. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't create... Are you going to produce an album? I need you to produce an album, D. No. Produce an album. No, I'm good. Call, call it Love Strong. <laughs> What's it going to be about? What is Love Strong about? <laughs> you going to stupid. Call it Love Strong. What is, what is Love Strong about? Good. I feel like it's some sort of angle. It could be a jazz album. Pick up what what instrument did you used to play? I play a trumpet and all percussion pretty much. Okay, dr- dust off that trumpet. What? Dust off that trumpet. And get to playing. Cut a SoundCloud album. See see what happens. Just make some sounds. Love strong. Strong music production. <laughs> Come on, man. Let me, let me be your manager. I feel like I got it. I feel like I got the juice. <laughs> you, got, you got something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I don't know, I man, I think music is, it's doing what it's supposed to do. I think that every era has its type of music. 
We live through it. We love it. We hate it. We move on. Right now, I'm hating this one. I'm, I'm waiting for the next phase. Um, but that's just me. That's me being. That's me being an '80s baby, right? That's it. So I, I, I love '80s music. You know, even like the pop music, pop before it was pop. I love '80s music, and I love '90s hip hop and uh, R&B too. Um, some of the 2000s, I love that too, cause Jagged Edge and then was the 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 male R&B category in the 2000s was hit. I mean, it was like back to back gems. Jaheen, you had Jaheen. I mean, it was a lot of them. Yeah, it was a ton of them. It was a lot of them. So you know, they all had hits, and it was great. It was a great time. Um, but nowadays, I'm listening to like. Chill, like I got serious XM, so I listen to Chill Hop, uh, the Chill Station, and I I love instrumentation. I guess I say that. So I love listening to like the electro, the the chilled out lo-fi. That's what it's called, lo-fi music. I love that. Just listen to just sounds. Like nowadays, I'm listening to just sounds, not words, because some of these lyrics, I'm just like, what am I listening to? Like what? Money. And I was like, man, um, yo, stop. Yo, let me. That's a song. We're finna put that out. <laughs> that's going on Love Strong. That's gonna be the first. I'm like, what am I listening to? I don't understand. It's a combination between computer bleeps, like the old AOL log on dial up, and a child crying for help. I don't know. So, you know. I, I've I've opted out and I've segued into other lanes. That's what I've done. <laughs> I say, I think I think this is a I think this is a good conversation. Again, we started out with DMX. Started out with DMX. It's happening. It was a loss, but his life was a lesson. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for it. His journey helped my journey. His, journey, his path paved ways for many, many others. So mm -hmm. his life was not, yeah. a, his life was not a loss. It was a lesson. Yeah, people, this is what people need to do. Audience, if you don't know who DMX is, just go to YouTube, go, Google him and, and look him up on YouTube. His freestyles, when he was, when Rap City was really about rap on the basement, they had a freestyle section and he was out there. And also, ladies and gents, back in the day, the 90s um, and 80s, what hip hop artists used to do, because you want to be played on the radio, you had the radio edit. Okay, so that meant no cursing. You couldn't even say the word "damn." All right, no cursing. So what artists would do? They recorded literally. They would record two different versions of their song. They had the radio edit, and then they had the album version. You had to buy the album to get the album version. The album version had all the cursing and everything. It was like it was the same song, but a little elevated. Nowadays, and, and honestly, that was a skill. That's how you knew people were writing their lyrics because you couldn't just fake that. It, it was no saying your rhyme and then you just got quiet when it was time to say a curse word. No, they swapped that out with another word and it still made sense either way. Nowadays, I know these DJs be working hard trying to, they, they got to edit it. Back in the day, the artist submitted an, a radio edit, and it could not get played unless it was clean. Today, 
now the red the DJ themselves or whoever's doing it, the program director, I don't know, but they gotta go in, they gotta listen to the song and they gotta bleep out themselves stuff. Isn't that crazy? They gotta do the work. Back in the day, the artist did the work. Crazy. In closing, I just wanna say one last thing. And I fear that what I'm saying won't be heard until I'm gone. But it's all good. Because I really didn't expect to live long. So if it takes me to suffer, for my brother to see the light, give me pain till I die. But please, Lord, treat him right. episode i don't know what we'll call this but we'll have a title when it uploads and um i am just marge and we will see you guys talk to you guys later bye yeah